that was Saltarella. It's just past 7pm on Wednesday the 27th of November 2007. You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Tim Hopkins. I'm from Sidmouth in Devon. And this is Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Provincial Pop. Series 2, Episode 3. This week we have the privilege of broadcasting to you from a radio station on just off Borough High Street in South London. Now, one of the questions that we Lollards are asked most often concerns how we achieve such high production values. Let me tell you, it's not easy. First of all, we're going to introduce you to this week's team by way of what the rock and roll community refers to as a sound check, but we, as good optimists, prefer to call a levels test. So this is the team who this week have wrested control of the airwaves from the sneering metropolitan elite. Elisha? Hi, uh, my name's Elisha. And um, I'm doing a mic check now, I guess. Uh, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, I've been told absolutely zero about the contents of this show, so bear with me. Me too. Well, we've Richard. got zero content, so it should be worth <laughs> So stay tuned. Uh, Richard. Hello, I'm Richard Tunnicliffe. I'm from York, and I'm going to be talking about shining a light from the centre of the earth. What, personally shining a light from the centre of the earth? Theoretically. Theoretically. He calls it the centre of the earth. It's the only sensible way. And Sarah? Um, hello, um, I'm Sarah. I'm from lovely central Lancashire, and at the moment I'm suffering a post-traumatic stress cold after the deathly events of um, last week's um, episode of The Lollard's Pop. Very good. And lastly, and probably leastly, it's uh, our producer for the evening, Carsmile Steve Hewitt. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name's Steve. I'm from the northeast of London, uh, from the northeast of, um, well, both the northeast of London and the northeast of England. Um, great to be here. Thanks, Steve. Now, this week, we're going to ask Steve to take a compact disc and press play in order that we <clears throat> and you can listen to some music. This is a song which caused a certain amount of bother when it was released. Uh, some people were apparently offended by the words. It's called courtesy of the red white and blue brackets the angry american brackets by toby keith american girls and american guys we'll always stand up and salute we'll always recognize when we see old glory flying there's a lot of men dead so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads my daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Now this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the Fourth of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list, and the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist, and the eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell, and it'll feel like the whole. Brought 
Sorry that you mess with the U.S. of A. Cause we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Help the sound. Put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly. And it's gonna be hell when you hear Mother Freedom start a that my friends was toby keith what do you think of that richard well it's certainly stirring i'll give you that i like the bells but the sentiment's not exactly the most lovely i I think you mean the clanging chimes of doom well yes i think that was mother freedom starting to ring her bell actually oh of course eli you're the only uh, american in the room did you did you feel your heart swell with the with with patriotic pride, uh, no, you know that that patriotic feeling of revenge that uh, a lot of people in New York and all over the United States felt right after uh, September 11th has faded a lot, and the feelings that surrounded everybody has, have faded a lot. But I got to say, the sentiment of that song, um, you know, if you listen to it, he's uh, it's very specific. It's a very specific song about revenge on very specific people, and. I think you know most everybody that I knew, whether they wanted to or not, had those feelings at the time. Um, the well, other song that I remember from that came out from that time was Mystical. Um, uh, I can't remember. Bumping me against the wall, I think was the name of it. Um, don't know that one. Yeah, he's ta- he says if you got to get in touch <laughs> with me, uh, call me. Don't send me no, no letters because all the anthrax letters that were going around uh, uh, afterwards. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, people give Toby Keith a hard time for that song, but I really think it was a—it's just a very sincere, uh, very personal kind of, you know, feeling of just uh, being shocked and confused and and wanting revenge and and uh, you know, it's unfortunate the way that that natural emotion that I think that, that a lot of people had has been exploited since then, and, I, um, and it puts him in a bad light. I got into an argument in a bar in Chicago the other week about this about about Toby. I'm, I'm, you know, a, a, a major league Toby booster. I really like Toby Keith. I love his work. And I was talking to some, you know, pretty metropolitan from uh, New York City, and he was, uh, he was saying, he, he, he trotted out the line that, that Toby was a flat-out racist, and, and this song is the, is the um, evidence that people use for that, uh, for that accusation. I think Toby's a much more nuanced songwriter than that, but um, 
thought you were uh, going to say nuanced racist. <laughs> no, yeah, his racism is much... No, I, I don't believe Toby Keith is a racist. But I, nevertheless, I mean, I, I largely speaking disagree with, find somewhat repugnant the sentiment of the lyrics of that song. But I must say, I adore listening to it. Well, I find, I find repugnant the sentiments behind, you know... Uh, um, the hero of Kill Bill, you know, I mean, she does horrible things to people, but right. the movie shows you that those 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 sentiments come from a place that you can kind of understand. I guess. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, Toby Keith is is known even to most Americans. Uh, I don't know most, but uh, quite a few Americans for that song because it right. was it was so big, and they don't realize that he has a lot of other songs and a lot of them are really good. Yeah. And that one's great too. Anyway, that was Toby. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, this week I've been reading about a fellow called Ralph Rumney. He was, a, he was the son of the Vicar of Wakefield, funnily enough. Um, he was a painter, amongst other things. Um, and he was the only English founder member of the much-vaunted Situationist International although he actually found himself uh, expelled from the Situationist International quite early on for um, failing to hand in his psychogeography homework. Splitter. <laughs> oh, no, he was expelled. He, okay. he just handed his homework in late and they expelled him, which was a bit, <laughs> bit mean, particularly for, you know, take your dreams for reality style anarchist set. But, you know, it's not for me to judge the ways of the Situationist International. Um, my favourite bits of his work involve series of images which are, are, are rubber stamped with the legend the map is not the territory which um, he was he was one of the architects of the situationist uh, idea of, of the drift where you freed yourself from the map and, <coughs> and found interesting stuff by drifting mostly interesting stuff about yourself sometimes though it seems that the map is the territory and I think Richard's been thinking about maps I have been thinking about maps indeed, uh, particularly about the politics of maps, which is kind of an obvious subject, really, but it's one that didn't really get much kind of play in the popular imagination until the kind of 70s. Um, until then, everyone pretty much grew up with the Mercator projection on their classroom wall in different sorts, and Greenland being very big at the top of it. The, the Mercator projection is the, the, the really standard map that we're all used to seeing, kind of yeah. oblong... Uh, for those of you at home, I'm now holding up a copy of this in the studio. Okay, uh, sorry, a copy of what? The Mercator world map. The Mercator, the Mercator projection. Yeah, yeah. And and that that is to me that looks like the kind of normal the map that we're all used world. to. Well, actually, as a slight diversion, I, I have a question for you about this because I've been led to believe that in American schools, this version, which actually instead of the normal one, which has America very much on the left hand side, Asia on the right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Europe sort of in the middle. This one has America right in the middle. Well, sure, it makes it easier to find. <laughs> well, it also has the slight defect of splitting Asia right down the middle, so it looks like two separate continents. It's it's a it's a seldom used part of the map, you know, in American uh, schools. There, yeah, I reckon Toby used it <laughs> when 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 thinking about his song. Anyway, quite like it. Anyway, um, so so that kind of was the standard and not for any particular reason apart from the fact it's useful for sailors because bearings on the map are straight lines and the publishers made loads of charts for sailors and so when they were making school maps they made a big rectangular map which followed this pattern this annoyed loads and loads of cartographers but who cares They're about cartographers to be annoyed. well yeah I mean no one really paid what attention what doesn't to annoy cartographers cheese I think we're about to find out <laughs> well what happened? Can you pass me the Mercator projection, I please? Uh, I'd like to have a look. It's not, a particularly, it's not a particularly good one. But 
Thank you. Anyway, what happened was in the late 60s, uh, a guy called Arno Peters, who was German, and this is important later on, um, so remember that, um, <laughs> came up, or so he claimed, with a, with a wonderfully new original projection of the world, which um, I am now holding up in the studio so everyone can see. And basically, what this did, instead of the Mercator projection, which basically... <laughs> which I'm holding up to which, you right now. Yeah. Which uh, ends up distorting areas at the pole. I mean, the classic problem with it is... It really looks very squashed. It, lo- it, looks, it looks elongated, doesn't it? North to south. It's yeah, your aspect ratio, mate. Well, um, the, so well, America's long and thin. I mean, what, what, happened, what happened in the projection was the areas got very big at the top and the bottom of the map, and so this made like Greenland look the size of South America. Uh, <laughs> Greenland's quite big, but it's not really quite that big. So anyway, Peters turns up and says, "Ah, oh, what I shall do, I shall make my map have equal areas on it." Which so you're saying that the area, any you know, a square meter in Greenland would be the same as a square yeah. meter in Sudan on this map. On, on this, this map, map. yeah. But obviously, in the world, a square meter in Greenland is the same as a square meter in Sudan. Let's yeah. just be clear. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. No. Is <laughs> oh, well, that like heavy geography or something? Well, it, it, I think it might be heavy yeah. maths. General relativity. Anyway. But it, but is this what the, the, yeah, the, the, the shape of the continents don't actually look like that? Do they? Well, no. I mean, this is this is the problem. I mean, one thing the Mercator map does do is that it does actually make everything look roughly the right shape. In fact, one of one of its properties is that. At each point um, on the map, it's actually got the same scale in all directions, so it's not distorting the shapes. Obviously, with something as big as green, that <laughs> yeah. this is only on the microphone, it does actually distort. The underlying problem here, obviously, is that it's an oblong. We're looking at oblong, an oblong presentation of something which is a globe. Yes. And you know, the, if you've ever tried to wrap up a spherical Christmas present in a piece of uh, in a piece of wrapping paper, you've got a bit of a problem. It, it's all wrinkly. It doesn't quite fit. Yeah, sorry, I should have put that at the beginning. That's, that's, okay. that's kind of the key, one of the key points, really. <laughs> um, anyway, Peter's turned up with this, and not only did he say this is a much better projection because it preserves area, it also basically gets around another perceived problem with the Mercator map, which most people hadn't really thought about before, I suspect, which was that the North, and particularly Europe and North America, look much bigger than Africa. And basically, this is really bad because it draws attention away from most of the population centres of the world where actually most people live. And so on. It's a northernest. It's a northernest map. Or, so or the, the Mercator one was. The Mercator and the one, Peters yeah. one is well, correcting this. That was what he claimed. He also made several claims about this being the first equal area projection and that no one had ever paid any attention to this t- issue before. Now, he actually, because of the, I don't know, because of the political climate in the early 70s and the fact that, that people were actually being very conscious about Western bias, everyone got picked up on this and went, hurrah, this man has corrected all these problems on the map. The problem was, was that he hadn't at all. I think the first point probably should be the most obvious, but no one notices. North is still at the top of this map. Hello. <laughs> but, 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 Rick, that's where north goes. But why? Because it's north. But why? why? Why should north be at the top of the map? Ah. Because south is at the bottom. But well, why? indeed, but why not? There's I mean, no reason for it to be. So turn it upside down. Why not? What's wrong with that? Indeed. But it's never shown that way. It's always shown so that north is at the top. How about sideways? Well, indeed. In fact, actually, most, most maps before the uh, Renaissance were actually drawn, but well, European maps were drawn facing east, so Jerusalem would be at the top. <laughs> okay. So, because that, that was what they regarded as an important. So you can this see... It's clearly that an out-of-date approach to map making is the United States would be at the top, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I 
I mean, you could do that. There's nothing to stop you from doing it. It's just convention that it that it's done this way. But um, this Peter saying all this stuff really got on the wick of a load of um, cartographers. Cartographers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Again, we can see the villain of the story. Very annoyed, basically. And uh, they ended up getting so upset about the whole thing that the, in uh, the mid-80s, um, seven American Geographical Societies actually issued a, a kind of edict um, requesting that rectangular maps were no longer used Hardcore. because they were so distorting of the world. Amazing. I, I actually, thought you were going to say they issued a contract out on Peter's life. Well, to be honest, they were really annoyed and it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. I mean, but, you know... They like seeing a home drawing maps. I do don't think any Rick, of them really handle them. Ricky, do you have a chart of one of these non-rectangular... Uh... Yeah, I have, I have some, some good ones. Well, actually, that I like, anyway. There's a, the, what Tim called the tangerine projection, which... It's I'm, still blue. It's still blue, but it looks like a tangerine skin that's been unwound. And this is called the... If you're very, very good at peeling a tangerine, that extremely is. extremely skillful tangerine peeler has unwound that. Yeah, but it's called the good homo... Homolosine? Sorry, I've had real trouble trying to pronounce that. Children. Oh dear, sorry. That, sorry. That, was, that was appalling. But this one tends to get used quite a lot in British schools now. But uh, anyway, I can, there's only a limited amount I can do to describe this on the radio. It's sort of, well, what's it the benefit of, of that sort of projection? that run into each other. Well, the, the point It basically goes up and down and up and down and then... Whoosh. The thing that's good about this is it preserves the area. It's another equal area projection, which is why Peter's claim that it was an equal area projection was basically... His was the only okay. equal area projection. But it also preserves the shape of the countries. Now, you, you were saying that Peter's stuff was sort of rubbish, but actually all of his claims were true. <coughs> no, no, he was saying that um, no one had done an equal area projection before. So that claim wasn't that true. That was not true. Nice. But, but his map did what he said it did. Well, he was claiming that, it, that the original maps were bad because they, they drew undue attention to the countries of Europe and North America. I think he's right about that. Greenland in particular. Greenland in particular. The Greenland lobby. His point point wasn't that specifically, or just, that it was an area thing. It was that more people lived in Africa. Mm. And we should pay attention Mm. to them. Well, in which case, why not just have a a diagrammatic map rather than a true geographical representation that does it by population instead? I mean, that's the logical thing what he was doing. The other most terrible thing he did was he didn't come up with this map at all. He claimed <gasps> to have invented, invented it, and it was actually invented in 1855 by um, an English vicar by the name of James Gore. Hooray for English vicars. So, which everyone at the time ignored because, let's face it, it it's kind no of looks use. a it's bit, a bit rubbish. W- wacky and a bit stretchy. And the, the, the real problem is actually it really massively distorts anything beyond about the 60th parallel. And so anyway, he was claiming that this was great because it showed, gave more uh, prominence to Africa, uh, in particular and South America. But one thing no one really pointed out at the time was that he was a German. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the few countries which is represented fairly accurately on the map is actually Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suspicious. Hold on, when did he do so, this? S- this was, oh, sorry, no, this you was mean Germany's oh, not okay. stretched out as much? No, as what happens above Germany is everything gets squashed a lot. And below Germany, everything gets stretched. And the squashing happens very, very quickly <coughs> if you go up because of the, the, the way the Earth curves up. But uh, Germany actually ends up looking pretty much okay. So world. you're saying that Germany was really very much the winner from the Peters projection? I would say absolutely. But as opposed to the whole of the imperialist north being the winner from the Mercator projection? Yeah. But, but Brazil but doesn't looks huge on this map. It's bigger than the United man. States. It is bigger than the United States. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but surely there, there must be a, a co... Um, there must be a point 
in the southern hemisphere where that, is. that occurs as well. There is. If it actually, happens to Germany. Yes, the problem is being it, that is it South Africa? Lots of, oh, the, lots of the southern hemisphere is actually sea. It's probably when you get lots that far. of this water. Is true. Is actually, I think the world's a bit the top loaded. The countries that intersect it are is actually like the tip of Argentina and Chile. Ah, so not much. Well, we've all learned something from that. I want to see a couple more projections before we move on because okay. I don't, I've got one that looks like an old BBC logo. Well. Well, I've got I've got two two that are my favourite. One of which because it just completely abandons the idea of rectangular projections at all. And basically, for those of you who may have been involved in role-playing games in the past, hello, for <laughs> shame. Um, it's actually an octahedron, which is an eight-sided die um, laid out flat. And and how this is produced is that um, they imagine the um, Earth as a globe with a with an imagining die the Earth as a globe wrapped around it. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> role and players with a light. Um, in the middle, and basically as though it's uh, the contents are casting shadows on the dice, and you actually end up with a really lovely kind of butterfly-shaped map when it's all spread. Richard out. says the hippies too. I say batwing t-shirt. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like a t-shirt laid oh, it out does. flat, like that's been hung up by the by the top of the you yeah, know, just yeah. just around the just around the neck there on the line. That's Look, what it looks like to me. Like Kate Bush is doing a washing. A bit <laughs> like Kate Bush is doing a washing. And fi- finally, there's a, there's a thought to conjure with. Finally, chaps. I, I, I've got this sitting in front of me and, and it's quite difficult to actually believe it is a genuine mathematical projection of the earth because what you end up with is a nice heart shape a lovely heart which is called the Warner projection and it's the little cleft of the hearts between um, the Russia and uh, Alaska as it should be and then it curves all the way around with a nice point at the bottom in Antarctica lovely, lovely. but you could put that little cleft anywhere you wanted you could I mean it's just arbitrary it is indeed it's I mean, arbitrary I mean but but that's quite aesthetically appealing if you're very twee, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm enormously twee, and, and, and it's my favourite. Well oh. done, Tim. Um, I, I want to know who uh, who objects to Greenland being really big. I really like the idea that Greenland's really big and nobody nobody lives on it. Well, some people do. Well, Just, yeah, but not very many. No, it, it's true. I mean, obviously the Danes like it being very, very big. But sadly, I haven't been able to find the evidence of... of Mercator being in any way connected with Denmark. I mean, he was Dutch, basically, so he didn't have any interest in that. Unless, unless it was to make the Spanish Empire look really tiny in comparison. Which, which your Dutch might very well be exactly, quite keen on, having, they, having, been, having emerged from same. Yes, sort of. Yeah, but, you know, they had their, uh, they, much, they had their problems yeah, with being yeah, ruled yeah. from Spain. Yes. I think that's historically accurate. <laughs> I read a book. Well done. Well once. done. Okay, I think it's probably time we stop talking about things that people can't see. I think Richard will almost certainly be posting up some links to these uh, oh, yes. these protections on the freakytrigger.co.uk over the course of the next couple of days. I know we always promise to do that stuff, and we sometimes don't manage it. But what, what was that website again, Tim? That was freakytrigger.co.uk. That's where we all live. All right. Now, Richard, if you ask Steve nicely... I think he'll play another record. Do you want to say something about it before we listen to it? Yeah. Or would you like to say something about it after we listen to I, it? I, I shall say something before, if okay. everyone's not sick of my voice yet. Um, this song is by the Dirty Projectors, and it's called Depression. And it, it's a cover of a, a Black Flag song done in a very, very strange way. Um, I kind of, I'm not even sure how much I like this, but I'm quite impressed by the fact they've at least tried to do a Black Flag song in a sort of Afro-poppy style, which was, I never really liked Black Flag very much didn't like Afropop very much when I was listening to John Peel in the uh, late 80s, but I think this kind of works. Mm. 
What an old racket. Oh, no, I didn't like that one at all. Um, I'm quite pleased I didn't like it. Cause I said you wouldn't. <laughs> you did say I wouldn't. You did say I wouldn't. You promised me I wouldn't. Eli liked it, though. He I was dancing was around fantastic. the studio to that. Yeah. What's wrong with it? It just sounded like a load of old pots and pans to me. Yeah. Dude, this is resonance. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> um, anyway, it's nice to be able to play music again after last week's No Music Day. Um, one of the things that happened last week was... We got a lot of complaints, which is to say none, that people were scared that we'd um, we'd actually killed Tanya Heaton, our um, our favourite resident music hater. At I'll talk Freaky more Trigger. about the effects of that later. <laughs> um, I'm pleased to say that Tanya is alive and unwell, and by way of proving it, we've invited her back for some more nuanced critiques on compact disc. Surprisingly, you'll find that I rather approve of your average Joe dating a pop star. The reason is simple. The more time he or she spends doting on their new love, the less time they'll have to commit their atrocities of sound upon the world. Nevertheless, there are a number of hints and dangers which should be highlighted before you dip your wick in the musician's wax. Hint one is very much one of personal safety. If a pop star asks you to go down to the river with him, do not go. For some reason, if a pop star feels that a relationship is not going well, they're usually presented with two options. Option one is to wait to be dumped by their partner and write a dirgy album about it, Hello, Damon Alban. Option two, however, is the slightly more unusual act of taking them down to a river and murdering them, and then writing a plaintive song about it, asking their audience for forgiveness. Neil Young, PJ Harvey and Bruce Springsteen have all owned up to Riverside murders. Nick Cave has, on last count, murdered about 15 people via the simple use of a flouncy dress and a babbling brook. Neil Young, being a bit simple and all that, took his love down by the river and then shot her. Cave would disapprove of this method, too messy and noisy, but then Neil was always a bit of a fan of pointless noise, circa his entire career. So remember, kids, pop star plus river equals danger, which brings us nicely onto the greatest unsolved crime in the history of pop music, Hazard by Richard Marks. Good time. 
The only reason that this murder was never solved and the least amusingly named of the Marx Brothers was left to go scot-free was that the police in Hazard County were never all that bright. That's a river he's left her by. You know, the pop star's choice place of murderage. I cannot see a court of law where Richard up the proletariat Marx would not go down. I guess it was just beyond Roscoe P. Coltrane's brain power to see it. That's what happens when you grow up in a southern state and your brain is addled by listening to George fucking Jones all the fucking time. As an aside, would you move to a town called Hazard? You've got to say the clues in the question. Oh, Tanya, there was no need for that, was there? Now, uh, we around the table today may all hail from Zone 7, which the uninitiated may need to know is that zone of London which begins at Essex and extends around the world to somewhere around sort of T- Twickenham way. Um, but we all live up London now and we can sophisticate it up with the Cosmopolitans as good as anyone. Um, I know that Sarah um, has been thinking about uh, people who hail from more um, unrecognised parts of the world, but also, before we get onto that, we get a special Sarah quiz. Is that right, Sarah? Um, Yes, why that's right, Tim. Uh, (laughs) um, After the the joy of... um, Last week, some, somewhat distracting from, from Tanya's supposed corpse lying on the floor, I guess the fatality, um, I thought that we'd do a, another similar quiz. Um, whilst I was trying to get over the trauma f- that, I, that I'd experienced from, from Tanya's supposed murderization, I decided that I'd go and travel the globe and go and see some sort of sporting events. Unfortunately, I hate sport and think it's all rubbish apart from ice skating, gym and synchronised swimming. So I went, just went into stadiums and saw what happened. And, um, but what I enjoyed was, this, was the sing-along they, they had to some sort of national song at the beginning of the events. I thought, well, maybe I could record these and I, I could let our, our listeners hear them. So um, what we're going to do with this quiz is we're going to have a brief snippet that I recorded with my trusty dictaphone whilst um, I was witnessing these events. I'm going to see if you um, know what country um, the song belongs to and if you can guess what event I was at at the time. Um, Steve, if you can play the first recording. Okay. This sounds very familiar. I love this one. I love them all. I have a reasonable idea of the event. What was the lady saying? Stand up! Stand up! Oh dear. Man, I got so no idea. Was that like, uh, like somewhere a long way, like Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Oklahoma's not really a country. <laughs> I mean, that, it sounded, um, it sounded like it was being played in a swimming pool. That's, I think they'll probably all have a bee of that sort of sound quality. Oh, I see. But was it actually in a swimming pool? No, no. I mean, they're pr- they're pretty much all sort of arena or stadium based. Ice I'm rink. <laughs> That's really good acoustic. I'm oh, afraid I, I have. You're right. No, no. no unfortunately, idea. not. Um, is it is it possibly Ukrainian? Ukrainian. Yeah, Ukrainian. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 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 not the, not the Ukraine. Anybody else um, have any idea what what country may have produced this? 
I think we're all out there. I'm, I'm just confused because the whole tune sounded like a, a, a cut-up version of sort of glory, glory, hallelujah. Mm. But that doesn't really help me any. And well, in that case, um, I'll, I'll reveal that this is um, this was from the uh, 2005 National uh, Games in Nanjing. That was um, March of the Volunteers, um, the official Chinese anthem since 2004. Oh well, there you go. You see, on, no wonder we didn't recognise it. In 2004. Well, oh, no, that that was when it was adopted as the official one instead of being yeah, it's sort of the official one. But there aren't about 60 million articles saying so. Um, uh-huh. Where have you been doing your research? <laughs> research? What research? This okay. is all original research, you know. Yes, of course. Mm, precisely. Hey, you never accused Rick of any of that sort of thing. He had pictures. He was- Evidence. Yeah. Listeners, by that sort of thing, I think there is an unspoken accusation that perhaps some of the people around the studio today have been using Wikipedia. <laughs> Do you no. want me to continue? Yes, yes, yes okay. please. Sorry, I didn't mean to insult you quite that badly. Well, Shall I haven't got much more to say, so you might as well just play the next one. More anthems, please. Ooh, this is familiar. I do like the orchestral ones, the, sorry, the operatic ones. It's a bit complicated. Yeah, it's also quite short as well, so um, that's probably about a lot on that one. You know, to me, that seems like it's offering itself up for some real sample of Delica. I, I thought it said like a release on Cranky or something. There's <laughs> all the echo. It's good. I don't think I know what Cranky is. Am I insufficiently indie? I think I, I would never accuse you of being insufficiently indie, Tim. Oh, thanks. Um, I don't think any of us have much in the way of an idea on that one, Sarah. You I can at least guess. Um, I think it was maybe... San Marino. San Marino, San Marino. Now, I'm just hoping that I've got my anthems in the right place because um, <laughs> I couldn't actually hear most of that. So um, It was quite operatic and things. Mm. A bit rudely tootly. Yes. Uh, see, mm. the one I've got written it down as, it's an extremely jaunty one. But, um, but as I couldn't hear it... That was pretty jaunty. Well, if it's jaunty, That's well... That's what rudely tootly means. Well, the thing is, I'm going to spoil it now if it's, uh, if it's the wrong one. But um, but what that was actually meant to be was the wonderful Algerian anthem. Ooh. Algerian? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Called Kassamon, which, um, which I witnessed when I went to see the uh, ninth All-African Games, um, you know, which happened, obviously, last week, because I went to see all of these uh, right. last week. Right, you're there with a little recorder, kind of. Yeah. I believe that it was, was a dictaphone. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's pretty much like it. Um, whilst I was certainly not looking up stuff on Wikipedia <laughs> about this... Perish the thoughtlessness. Yeah, precisely. Don't trust um, it. Well, this kids. one was adopted in, in 1963, after um, Algeria gained its independence from France, and um, there are actually quite a few verses at the end of it um, which refer to France in no uncertain terms. Oh, really? These these have now been taken out. I think somebody thought might might have to have a quiet word. Do you know about what they that. used to say? Um, we have um, oh France, the time of reproof is over, 
and um, the slightly more threatening, oh, France, this is the day of reckoning. Uh-oh. Oh, blind. No, however, that might not have been the Algerian anthem because I couldn't hear it. Maybe we should move on to the next one. This is Algeria. <laughs> oh, oh no! Nose. It's all gone horribly wrong. Flipping good, though. Bless your French, what is obviously. It? You know, sometimes I think that I should have written these down properly. This I'll let like, you know when it gets to the first. Like well, that's it's like, it doesn't sound like well, there's vocals somewhere. Listeners, we're having, having to share our headphones in this studio. So we can... Again, this is another very short one. That, that's, I'd call that jaunting. I'd, that's jaunting. I'd be inclined to agree. There's a de- definite degree of jaunt. So if the previous one... No, wait a minute. If that one was Algeria, which was the previous one then? Well, I mean, that would be something that I could tell you if I had that information with me. <laughs> I see. Lovely. I'm just playing your tracks in order. Yeah, well, good for you. <laughs> I fear the... Uh... The We've gap, lost this somewhat. Our, the gaps in our planning may be uh, Maybe coming starting, to the starting to show a little. But might I mention I've been feverish all day, so um, it's nice to uh, it's nice arrive. to expose the means of production. Very much so. Shall Absolutely. we maybe move on to track Perhaps. four and see what happens there? Yes, let's listen to one last anthem, shall we? Oh, this is very quiet. This one. Oh no, wait a minute. Let's come back there. It's just like all the other ones. Been listening to the same track each time. It's like a giant Rorschach test. What sense is a Rorschach test? Mike listening to the same thing every time. That doesn't make any sense. And that's about all we've got of that one. Hooray! There's some cheering from some people. Oh, it's stopped now. Well, I'm sad to hear that you couldn't hear the vocals on um, on uh, one of my favourite ones, which um, which is the Algerian one, um, whichever one that was. Um, anyway, um, I think we'll just quickly skip on to this one. Um, that one should have been the Polish anthem, which uh, contains a dig at the Swedish, and is also apparently formally known as Poland is not yet perished, which I think is a bit fatalistic. <laughs> well, we did sort of have serious perishing. Going yeah, there, on. there was a degree of perishing. Um, yeah, but it, but it's not yet. You perished. don't really want to incorporate yeah, that yeah. in your oh, anthem. You don't want to well, say it's not yet. Perished. Well, right, no, but the, the U.S. anthem incorporates the exact same sentiment. There's the line about. Uh, I think it's probably common in anthems. There's a line about, uh, you know, and our flag was still there. You know. It, it, we looked and on daybreak, oh, and there was the flag. We hadn't perished yet. But Poland yeah, but, did but actually properly go away for a bit. Maybe this anthem dates from that if it's so anti-Swedish, because the Poles haven't had any beef with the Swedes for a very, very long time. That's a good point. If it was, like, Russians and Germans, then that would be... Yes, yes. Hmm, I, I'm, I'm very excited by the, um, by the prospect that, that there are national anthems all around the world which contain... Uh, vicious digs at other nations and that's something that I think merits further research as, uh, as time goes on. I think it's probably time, however, to move on from anthems and play a record. Sarah's oh, got okay. a record for us to listen to. Can, yeah, um, can I, I, I just, picked, Sorry, Sarah, uh, can I just check that it's track five that is your song on this CD? 
Well, it'll it'll be one which doesn't it's, sound like it, it was recorded okay. underwater. Okay, it's also four four and a bit minutes long, so I'm guessing it probably is. Yeah, that that sounds about right. And I I picked this record um, because um, when I was um, seeing uh, well listening to the Polish national anthem, it was at um, a women's volleyball championships, and um, this song um, also happens to be the theme tune to the World Volleyball Championships um, being held in Japan. Uh, this is out now, and it is by Heisei Jump. Unless it's Remind me what that was, Sarah? Um, that was Ultra Music Power by Heisei Jump. And the jump stands for Johnny's Ultra Music Power, which I, which I think is pretty awesome. That is pretty um, great. The band have only uh, just recently debuted, and um, they used to be in um, bands called um, Heisei 7 and JJ Express before that, but you don't care. The important thing to know is that there's two subgroups within Heisei Jump. Great there's, news for all our listeners. Indeed, there's the, well, uh, who, to whom I apologise greatly for the anthem mess-up. Um, Particularly our Filipino listeners who may or may not have heard their national anthem. Uh, and the Algerian listeners and, and the know. Polish listeners and, and every, every, and well, our one listener. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, two subgroups in uh, Heisei Jump. There's your, um, there's the older boys who are, you know, 16, 17, ancients. They're legal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they shouldn't be. 
<laughs> and then you've got um, five uh, younger members who are about 13 or 14. Oh, no, the shame. And they're called um, Hey Say Best, which stands for Boys Excellent Select Team, which I think is... <laughs> It's just, don't, don't it's just wonderful, is Say it? things, Eli. Don't just sit there laughing. <laughs> I think, I think Eli's just completely overcome now. <laughs> He's lost it. Yeah, I think <laughs> he so, so, team. so, Sarah, did, did these people form especially to do the theme song for the volleyball? Well, they formed this um, Hey Say Jump unit yeah, to release this single. And also, um, my, my other favourite band, News, uh, I think their first single was actually for the World Volleyball Tournaments in 2003. Do you know what? I think it may be time to move on from Teenage Boys and Ladies Volleyball. What? Never! <laughs> never! What? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But Sarah's got more to tell us because Sarah's also been thinking about poor provincial unfortunates not as lucky as we are to live in the smoke. Is that right, Sarah? Oh, yeah, well, that, that's true. Um, something that I witnessed quite a lot when I was um, back in the provinces were shambling, aimless country bumpkins. <laughs> Everywhere, all Why the time. Why did you put on a southwestern accent to say that? It's not fair. Was that a southwestern accent? You definitely yeah, went yeah. country bumpkin. <laughs> I've spent too much time around you, Tim Tim. Um, but I thought that I'd. Um, I think about what's what's the stereotype of a bumpkin. What, what does it mean when when you're a bumpkin? How does that differentiate from just being a common old garden tramp? Smocks. See, I, I wasn't so sure whether a smock was essential to be a to be a bumpkin or not because wait, I think wait, wait, that what, a, what's the question you're asking? Is the difference between a bumpkin and a tramp? What does it take to be a bumpkin? Well, what's your special qualities? To be and a do little, you know uh, what one is? Because just, um, I've read that in American they're, they're called hillbillies or hayseeds. Maybe mm, a bumpkin connotes somebody who's a little who's simple, just a little simple, a little. What, dumb. What, what's a hillbilly then? A hillbilly is just somebody who lives in the hills. Just somebody who, uh, what? What? You know, doesn't who make it. hunts for bear and, you know, just <laughs> lives in the hills. Well, sort of like a wild man of the mountains. And hillbillies can often be very, very clever. Like in the Jack Tales, for instance, that, uh, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk and That's things like that. That's mostly fiction, I think, Eli. Right, right. But those, <laughs> those, those, those stories were made up not by people who lived in the metropole, but by people who lived in those hills. So and you're saying it, a really clever it, bloke made up a story about a really tall beanstalk <laughs> that went to the sky and had a giant in the clouds. Well, <laughs> also the, 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 the story. The stories cele- celebrate the uh, perhaps uh, fictional or not uh, uh, clever quality to uh, dudes who live out in the out in the mountains. Also, this and was about this, sorry, this, sorry. And by, yes, defini- by definition, as, as by says, definition, this is, those guys can't be bumpkins. This is bumpkins the man. But this is the man who sold his cow for some beans. Yeah, that's not very bright. It's not very bright, dude. Uh, anyway, I think sorry, in this Sarah. country, no, they're tasty beans. I think in this country, bumpkin really just means a country person doesn't it it's somebody who's who's folk whose entire life has lived in the country and who who really has a, a lack of uh cosmopolitan or indeed metropolitan focus mm-hmm. a certain lack of fair? engagement with it yeah, anyway I mean, there's, there's there's a there's an element of the stupidity i think yeah but but not necessarily um you could you could be an intelligent bumpkin i guess <coughs> yeah <coughs> yeah i mean i think i think i think it's the could metropolitan a bump, could a bumpkin hoodwink you <coughs> He wouldn't want to. Mm. He'd be more interested in tending your livestock. Yes. Anyway, I understand that you have some favourite bumpkins, Sarah. Give us a selection of your favourite bumpkins, why don't you? 
Well, I mean, I think we can go through it. We can discuss them and see whether we think they're bumpkins or not. I mean, am I bumpkin or not? <laughs> nice. Oh, New super. feature coming to you on freakytrigger.co.uk. Um, a cer- certainly a, a dumb bumpkin. I, I think a good example of this is a poacher who pops up in an episode of Doctor Who. I knew that was going to come up. Did you? What do you think about the poachers in Doctor Who, then? Are bumpkins tell, so rare? Tell us about the poacher in Doctor Who before we discuss the poacher in Doctor Who. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I understand about Doctor Who and the young people, but... Okay, well, well, a poacher in Doctor Who will usually stumble along, um, get his foot caught in a trap and then see an alien, or get his foot stuck in an alien, or fall off his bicycle or something, or he'll steal something and it turns out to be an alien, that sort of thing. So we're saying that... And we're we'll saying, die. We're saying there's a... There's oh, yeah, a, we'll die within at least uh, five, five minutes. Doctor Who scriptwriters have use poachers as bumpkins as basically Certainly. bit parts well, who, uh, who introduce you to the story in what is little more than the tracking shot. Well, I, well, I, I think more as a, an easy victim. Uh, I think that people will, will sympathise with the poacher because they'll, they'll recognise his sort of bumpkin backgrounds and they'll have sympathy. But at the end of the day, you know, he's a criminal. You see, I, 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 alien death. I would dispute that. I, I think the reason Not they aliens. choose country folk is is a, is like this is a, a sign of the metropolitan bias of the Doctor Who exactly writers, and they're assuming that they, that they are expendable. Are you yeah. saying that they have an agenda of some sort? Oh, I am. <laughs> well, have we seen any um, sort of poacher-like characters in New Doctor Who controlled by the Cardiff uh, metrosexuals? Well, I said metro. There were some country types in the episode with the scarecrows, as well as the scarecrows. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the scarecrows, I, don't, I can't really count as bumpkins, them being, um, I don't know, sort of zombie, alien, scary yeah, business. Didn't, didn't one of the country folk get possessed by the aliens? Sort of rotund chap. With oh, a yeah. Oh, but, but that, wait a minute, that was tortured, wasn't it? No, no that was, that was oh, proper sorry. Torture. All right, you know what? <laughs> I'm saying that they don't count as bumpkins because they're fictional characters and therefore they can be... Uh, they can be classified oh, as Oh, and in that case, you not. really won't like the fact oh. I've got Shrek on my list as well. <laughs> oh, no, Shrek's blatantly a bumpkin, because that's because he's Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lives in let's... the country with a donkey. And he's and he, green and that. And he's an ogre. Green, green, green people, mostly bumpkins. You've got a problem with donkeys, Tim. I haven't got a problem with donkeys. Why would I have a problem do with donkeys? Do you have donkeys? a problem with things Devin. that are green? I do have a problem with things that are green, yes. Hey, up the sea. <laughs> uh, sorry, Sarah, moving on. Who oh. else have you got on your list? Oh, you want me to pick another one, do you? Yes, please. Yeah, uh, Shrek, Shrek's in. Oh, Shrek's in, okay. Yeah. Well, well, then I thought I'd, I'd talk, um, well, I thought of some more people who I think are, are, are bumpkins, but there's there's something which elevates them above just being your, your regular dumb character, so they've got some sort of knowledge that you're not going to get if, um, if you haven't grown up in the country. And for some reason, I thought of Ed Dickon from The Secret Garden. Bumpkin. <laughs> Definitely a bumpkin, but but he's he's the guy who he saves the day in the he's, end. He's he saves not, he's not only Mary smart, Lennox. but he's also quite honourable. Is Dickon, as I recall? Yeah, indeed. I thought that's a a big sort of bumpkin quality is supposed to be. You know, you're straightforward, plain talking. I'm very honest. Yada yada yada. It's but it's always a sort of very down to earth um, quality that they have to them, which um, which generally characterises your, your good bumpkins as opposed to your bad bumpkins which I'll get on to later oh. Maybe it's time to move on to bad bumpkins now actually Okay, well um, I'm not sure if he's a bad bumpkin or not but I thought of the character of uh, the walker in the Dark is Rising book 
Um, have we no all read this at all? No, maybe some people might want yes. to be going to see I the think film. I, no, I think I they, did, but oh. I think it was 30 years ago. Oh, be more literate, people. <laughs> <laughs> some of us are older than others. Yes, some of us are also reading giant books on Italian football rather than... Tell us about e. the walker. Well, I can't really without um, without. No, 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 please, carry on. Uh, we have issued a spoiler warning. <laughs> turn off the radio. Yes. No, 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 don't turn... Um, change step the out. station. No, step no, no, out, no, Step out of the room the for a moment. <laughs> well, the well then we first encounter him um, in a in a country setting um, where they where they think of him um, as the scary tramp guy that goes around. But um, as the story proceeds, he seems to become more and more evil. And then you realise his old um, origins, where he was um, where he was a very honourable man, and he um, he was sort of prided himself on that until. Ooh, until a lady came along, naughty lady. Always with the ladies. Yeah. Um. What did this lady do? Um. She made him evil. The lady made she, him evil. Uh, well, she sort of tempted him with her with her lady wiles. It'll happen. That it does. Hmm. I read a book. Turkish delight gets him every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think that's that you, true. You the kids s- in Narnia are flipping bumpkins. Oh, they're all no, bumpkins. Oh, no, 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 no. They're posh bourbon kids. The kids yeah, honey, too, right. Definitely not bumpkins. They're very confused by, you know, trees and snow and stuff. And I think they become bumpkins when in Narnia because they don't understand how Narnia works at all. Oh, I'm completely making this up. So are you saying that a city person going to the country becomes a kind of city bumpkin? It's like bump- bumpkinification is a... Is I a think that's a very interesting idea. I mean, right. I think that's, that's um, the... The tenor of the, um, the the City Slickers movies with Billy Crystal. Indeed, classics, also, classics, everyone. Well, well, the first one. Yeah, all right. Search for is Curly's Billy Gold. Billy Crystal in the second one. I, I believe he is. Yes. Okay. Classic then. Crikey. Yeah, all right. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> that that is the end of the spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't really have many more bumpkins unless anyone can think of them. But I can tell you that I did look up the etymology of the word bumpkin because if you. Yeah, if you split the word into its constituent parts, it, it does make you wonder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, the internet says to me that, that it may derive either from a comic mispronunciation of the word local, from a dialect word yokel meaning woodpecker, or from the Somerset word yogel meaning owl. Owls are common in Somerset. The Hazard. end. Yeah. <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. Profit. Profit. And we're coming to the end of today's show. That's enough bumpkins. Um, it's our practice to play you the record which, according to our secret sources, has reached the position of midweek number one. This week, I'm delighted to say it's some proper actual po- uh, bleh, punk rock uh, swell maps. <laughs>
completes our hour, which Resonance 104.4 inexplicably allots us each week. Um, I want to thank very much uh, this week's Lollards. Um, I want to ask them to say cheerio to you all. Um, Sarah? Are you allowed to speak? You're allowed to speak. I'm very sorry, everybody. (laughs) I don't think you've got anything to be sorry for. No. uh... (laughs) Elisha? Uh, goodbye, everyone. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to play my Miranda Lambert records. I forgot to play yeah, Elisha's you know, Miranda Lambert I know. records. Uh, it's yeah. a really you can good record. Next week, Perhaps we can, um, to be What's the record here? for, Eli? What's the record called, rather? Well, the record what's it for? It just fit right <laughs> into the whole theme here about bumpkins and country dudes. It was called uh, Famous in a Small Town. It's good. Look it up. Thanks, Eli. Richard. Goodbye. Goodbye, Richard. <laughs> Thanks to everyone. Thanks to me, too. Uh, I'm Tim Hopkins. Thanks to Steve, who's been very clever on the uh, on the knobs. Uh, until next week, when it'll be time to thank someone else. Drop. Right.